This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And um, today I have a great pleasure and honor um, to do a unique podcast. Uh, this podcast is uh, highlighting the impact of uh, a patient uh, and how the disease has uh, affected her, her life and, and those around her. Um, I think this patient is a, a really unique patient. She is my patient. Her name is uh, Gabriela Benjamin, and um, I thought that she would be an ideal individual to share with us her experiences uh, through the diagnosis of ovarian cancer, um, where she is right now with her disease, and to really highlight and advocate uh, for um, the process of going through uh, this disease. And I'm, I'm really honored and, and I'm extremely proud uh, of having Gabriela, uh, Gabby, as I call her, um, in, in the podcast. Uh, it truly is an honor. So thank you, Gabby, for joining us and sharing uh, your experience with our audience of uh, oncologists, uh, patients, families, advocates. Uh, it's truly an honor to have you. Thank you for the invitation, Dr. Ramirez. It's an honor to be part of this. So, Gabby, um, we uh, we were just uh, talking prior to the podcast, and, and it's almost uh, down to the day a year ago you were diagnosed with um, with ovarian cancer. Um, I wanted to first uh, start by having you just share with us some details as to um, uh, who you are and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. Um so, uh, as Dr. Ramirez said, I'm Gabriela Jacera Benjamin. I was born actually in Brazil, um, but I was raised in Miami. And um, then I went on to go to school in New York, where I entered uh, finance, and I've been working in finance for the past 16 years in my life. Um, I am one of three girls in my family, um, and we all live in the U.S. now. My, um, my parents uh, um, live in, in Brazil. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Um, I'm all, also a very active person. I've always been very active. Um, and I could speak a little bit more about more and how, you know, the diagnosis obviously impacted me in that sense. Yeah. And um, Gabby, tell us a, a little bit about how did you learn of your diagnosis? And, and of course, obviously, uh, I'm sure it was uh, incredibly impacting. How, how did you feel when you first learned of your diagnosis? Yeah, so I'm 37 years old, which is something I should have mentioned before, or 38 now, but at time of diagnosis, 37, recently turned uh, 37. So it was quite um, unexpected in the terms of uh, this type of um, diagnosis. But what kind of happened is um, I had had a, an ultrasound as I was looking into egg freezing, actually. And um, then I flew home to Brazil for the holidays, and I felt a strong pain in my lower left abdomen. And I normally have a really high pain tolerance, but this pain was persistent. And even with medication, it did not help. And I'm lucky enough to have doctors in my family who then, you know, promptly advised me to go to the ER where they started doing the images. And through the images, they saw there was a tumor. But um, given the location of the tumor, it was actually not expected to be um, ovarian cancer. It was, you know, everybody kind of suspected it, especially after the PET, that it was lymphoma. 
um, and they did a biopsy and, you know, they said, well, Gabby, if it's lymphoma, we're actually going to pop some champagne because it's very curable and we're going to be so, you know, I went into the diagnosis thinking, well, this is going to be lymphoma and I'm going to beat this and I'm optimistic. I had a close friend who had lymphoma and I knew it was treatable. Um, but, you know, I think it was a shock to everybody and, and to me specifically when I heard it was ovarian cancer. I um I've ha- I had always had dreams of becoming a mother, thus uh, looking into the egg freeze. Um, I had actually tried to become a mother for two years with my ex-husband, and, and it didn't work out. And so I think probably of all the cancers I could have had, this is for me personally, who wanted to be a mother in the sense of bearing my own children. Um, I think this was a big shock to me, and um, you know, it was very um, it was very hard. Yeah. And, and Gabby, when obviously confronted with that diagnosis, um, you know, you mentioned obviously you were in Brazil, you, you live in Miami. Um, how did you seek where you would be eventually treated? Yeah, so after the initial shock, you know, I went into action mode, which is let, let's, you know, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to seek the best help. And I've been unfortunate enough to have um, uh, good health insurance and had the choice. And, you know, I immediately, uh, you know, doctors in Brazil are great, but I immediately knew to go to the U.S., especially um, for more cutting edge and more of what's, you know, if I needed eventually to do developmental or anything, trials, then I knew I needed to be in the U.S. So that was the first decision where to get treated. So I came back to the U.S. And then I kind of sought, um, you know, the main um cancer centers i'm lucky to have you know my sister is a doctor so we reached out to the main cancer centers uh in the united states and essentially three and i kind of created a board of directors in my approach you know kind of seeking all the different advice and see if it lined up and speaking to each of the different doctors and then where where ultimately chose to to get treated i you know the when there was agreement that i needed to do chemotherapy first i knew i wanted to be you know close to home, where I had a good support system was very important. And because, you know, chemotherapy, it's mainly just injection and it's the same everywhere. I said, I will do that in my hometown of Miami. But when it came to chose to choose surgery, I definitely, you know, was where with the doctor that I had, uh, you know, all the doctors I think I spoke to were competent, but this, you know, I felt that you, Dr. Ramirez, um, there was a lot of affinity also. And, and I think one important part of this disease is you think it's an exact science, but, you know, there's it's not an exact science and there are different outcomes and each person is different. So you really have to go with who you feel most comfortable and comfortable with. And, and that's what led me to Dr. Ramirez and, and thus MD Anderson. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm sure obviously that resonates uh, very, very well with uh, with many patients. And I'm, I'm grateful and honored that you selected um, to come and visit with us. Um, now, what, what did you see as sort of like the most difficult challenge when, when you learn uh, of the proposed uh, treatment plan? As you mentioned, you know, you, you were embarking on treatment with chemotherapy. You were 37 years old. Um, what was that like? Yeah, so it was definitely a challenge, even to say how many chemotherapies I'd do up front, you know, how many, there was a, an idea to maybe do three and then surgery, six and then surgery. I think the hardest part is not having, you know, this is the path and this is, you know, having to actually think and debate these things. That was the challenge part. I wanted certainty in a disease that there unfortunately isn't a lot of certainty. 
And then for the chemotherapy itself, um, you know, I, I unfortunately I lost my mom to cancer, so um, I had very close, uh, you know, I knew what chemotherapy could be like. And um, I followed her through treatment for, for multiple years. Uh, she eventually lost her battle about six years ago. So I, I, I thought I had, I knew what I was getting into. But to tell you the truth, the first chemo treatment was uh, much worse. But what I really chose to do is never go into the victim role, never really question, you know, the why me, why this, but take it as a challenge. And I was determined to keep on living throughout of it. So, yes, the post-chemotherapy days were really rough. I'm a very active person. I play tennis. I dive. I do yoga, Pilates. So, you know, what I kind of challenged my doctors, and, and Dr. Ramirez, you could speak to this because I was constantly <laughs> challenging you, is I said, I'm going to I'm gonna continue doing my life. So, yes, post-chemotherapy, you know, I was out of commission for maybe four or five days. It was bad. I felt awful. Um, There's no hiding it. The truth is, is what it is, and it was very hard. But the post-chemo weeks... I continued on living and I continued to play my tennis. Um, I continued to do my yoga. I did my Pilates. I even did a 14 kilometer mountain race, um, which probably drove most of my doctors crazy. I, I went, you know, I kite surfed. I continued to live. And I think that was so important for, you know, making treatment livable. Yeah. And I, that, yeah, I think that you you said it so well when you when you say I, I continued to to live and and um, and I was wondering if if you had any words you can share for any patient, frankly, of any age that is about to embark on this, and 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 they say, where am I going to find the strength to do this? What would you say to them? I think it's about you know wanting to live and and, and trying to appreciate the you know I love the movie Collateral, but trying to appreciate the collateral beauty, try to see the positives in this. And, and Mart, part of it came from, I saw how much love there was around me. Mm. Part of it came from admiring nature. Uh, part of it came from, you know, knowing, it, I think the mentality that life is great. Um, and although life is tough right now, you got to appreciate the small moments. And, and I think that was really useful for me. I started, you know, finding myself, being so happy after a yoga class um, when you know the bad I think you really learn to appreciate the good and I really embrace that I even you know made some of it fun I had this you know I had a registry for cancer people around me wanted to help they didn't know how to help and I said okay well here's a, the equivalent of a wedding registry here's the first cancer registry you've ever been had and you know send me stuff that I need blankets whatever it is and I put on the whole list whether it's like caps for my head so I'm not cold doing chemotherapy and people had fun with it and you know I said whatever gets donated to me I will double that value and donate it to a nonprofit that uh, in honor of my mom and and that's what that you know that's what I've done um, another fun challenge I did is before surgery I wanted to be in best physical shape So I did uh, the plank challenge. So, you know, we got people around the world, literally, to go ahead and do a minute plank. And, you know, it was, it was, it gave me, I was doing it every day. And we post pictures and social media and that gave me strength, but also, you know, probably got some of my friends in shape that needed to get in shape. So that's part of it. It's, it's trying to be creative, trying to not, you know, try to see the small happy moments and trying to, to you know, most people want to help. Neighbors want to help sometimes. Family definitely wants to help friends. They just don't know how to. So I really took lead of what I call my tribe and in, in, in getting them engaged 
um, in the positive aspects of it, not just in the suffering. Yeah, what, what an amazing spirit, and uh, obviously so so inspirational to to listen to you. And I and when you talked about the planks, I, I smiled because I still recall on the day of your surgery, <laughs> you challenged me to a plank. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> just for the for 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 the audience, I did not do it. <laughs> uh, he still owes me. That's right. Um, so now moving forward, uh, you know, we were incredibly uh, fortunate. You had an amazing response um, uh, you went through surgery um, you recovered very quickly from that and I'll, I'll share with you with the audience that now you're on maintenance so olaparib as many patients are uh, maintenance PARP inhibitors uh, for um, this type of disease but I wanted to ask you uh, having completed all of this and of course obviously this must have been quite a journey now moving forward how do you face moving forward as you go through, obviously, this period of surveillance. Um, tell us about that. Absolutely. But just before I tell you about the surveillance, I do want to make a, a big note here, which is, uh, you know, Dr. Ramirez, I always say you're, you were one of my angels. And, and <laughs> I want to reiterate the importance of that, because with my diagnosis and the advanced stage of my disease, it was almost consensus among, among everybody that I would need an open surgery. And, you know, I fortunately reacted very well and reacted in well response to chemo. And I did six rounds prior to my surgery. And it wasn't until, you know, the day before that that was, you know, spoke with Dr. Ramirez and we spoke of maybe the possibility of not having to do open surgery. And, you know, I think and I think Dr. Ramirez took a, a big calculated risk, but he, he, you know, he considered what was best for me in the end and it, it ended up not having to be an open surgery and I think that was significant in my recovery um in so other so many other aspects and this is what I mean having confidence when Dr. Amir said I'm gonna try I think I can do it this way you know worst case scenario we open up you know he dared with his confidence with his talent you dared Dr. Ramirez to to do this and I think that helped so much in the post-recovery and everything. So that's what I'm saying. It's so important to choose the right doctor that you can give that confidence to. Well, thank you so much, uh, Gabby, for saying that. And I think it's uh, uh, an important point to highlight to uh, any patient that is listening to our podcast that it is important, obviously, as, as you did, to discuss with your doctor as to what are all your options at every point where you have to make a decision in your um, in your disease. Um, now, I wanted to ask you, of course, obviously, I think that the, the audience could definitely tell how incredibly positive you are, motivated, enthusiastic, very energetic. Um, how do you think this attitude actually impacts um, your ability to move forward, how you deal with the disease? Do you have better days, uh, worse days? Uh, are there days when you think back to your treatment or or what could be coming up in the course of your disease? Yeah. Um, no, I think it's, they're always bad days. Um, I'm not going to, you know, they're always bad days. There are days I doubt there, you know, days around when scans are coming up, they're very difficult to start, you know, it, it kind of haunts your mind, but there are, there are good days. And, and I think it's about trying to be very positive when, when you have good days and when you have bad days, acknowledge, you know, if you want to cry, cry, that's okay. It is tough. It is hard. 
So I think it's part of it, you know, and I work throughout my whole um, time doing treatment and pre-treatment and post-treatment with a therapist. I, I highly recommend that. Family and friends are great to talk to, but a therapist is a third person. I think it was very important for me to discuss my fears and to discuss, you know, some mourning. I had to mourn the fact that I'm not going to bear a child. I had to mourn, you know, it was really difficult, um, you know, when when I was first doing treatment and through surgery, I was very, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Post-surgery, I thought I was done. And this was, you know, a ghost that was behind me. And one of the toughest moments was post-surgery when I was in recovery and I was, you know, home from uh, probably a little longer than I would have liked given uh, I'm so active. But I thought, you know, my head started getting to me and I started thinking, oh my God, now I have to do maintenance treatment. This thing is not over. Is it ever going to be over? Mm. And I, I think those days are really really difficult but you know you have to find your your escape valve another thing i did that i think really helped me and i recommend all patients do this even if they don't show anybody is to keep a diary to write out your thoughts to actually kind of in a way voice your fears because it really helps the mind get over it um and even helps you you know think it's unwanted fear and you know i just went through my second scan and luckily um fortunately it was clear and, you know, I, I think, it, you know, but there was a lot of anxiety going into it the week before, you know, you started feeling pain, almost phantom pains because you're, you know, you're doubting that this is coming back. So the reality is this is not going away from my life for a little bit of, you know, a little bit of time. I mean, hopefully the five year mark will, will be my disease free. And, and, and that's when you, you know, eventually can totally relax from this. Um, but I think it's it's really important to acknowledge the bad days and seek help, whether it's with friends or doing something you love. Some people like painting. Just find mm. what makes you feel good. Yeah, really valuable advice. Um, now, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, physicians. And, and I think this is also important for us uh, as physicians treating patients, um, not only with ovarian cancer, but obviously with any type of uh, gynecologic cancer. Um, so I'm going to ask you a series of questions regarding that physician-patient interaction. Um, what do you recall as some of the really positive experiences or even potentially even the negative experiences when interacting uh, with physicians, if you had any uh, moments where we can perhaps uh, learn from, from you as, as a patient? No, definitely. Um, one part that I was, you know, in my original diagnosis, when it was all very fresh and new, and I started speaking to to the doctors initially, a lot of some doctors just kind of spoke to it as if it was like, not a big deal what I had. Oh, yeah, you have stage four, blah, blah. And, and the way they reacted, you know, I think they see so much of it. that you know, It's such part of their everyday life. But to me, that was like a life changing event. So the doctors that kind of took this as, oh, yeah, you're just another stage four overcarrying patient was like really rough. Mm -hmm. The doctors I had more affinity with, and it was including Dr. Averis as well as some of the doctors with doctors that started off the conversation saying, Gabby, I'm really sorry you're going through this. It is really tough mm -hmm. diagnosis, but this is what we can do with it. And those were the ones I gravitated towards because for one second, it was almost like they acknowledged the pain I was going through in the, you know, and, and it, that it was in my everyday life. So I think that was one that I think when discussing with patients, the original diagnosis, don't just jump into this is what we're doing treatment, but like acknowledge what the patient's going through. I think that really helps. Yeah. 
and, and I, I really very, very important uh, advice. And, and I think you sort of answered my, my next question. And I was wondering if there's anything else you would like to add uh, in that. I wanted to just ask, like, what can doctors do differently? Um, or what do you recommend uh, with regards to that first point where you actually tell the patient that they have an ovarian cancer? Yeah, so I think that initial communications, you know, feeling the sharing the pain or acknowledging the pain the patient's going through is one big part. Um, the other part is this is not a death sentence. We can and we're going to fight this and motivate the patient to get into that fight mode, not that victim. Oh, mm. you know, why is this happening to me mode, but saying this is what it is. This is how much, you know, I did a lot of research. I also asked my doctors a lot about, you know, how his, you know, statistics is always a tough thing to get into. But I'm an engineer um, and I work in finance, so I'm a numbers person. So I, wa I wanted to know the numbers. I wanted to know. And, you know, I think, I think Dr. Mears, I think we talked about this multiple times, but, you know, the fact that the numbers are shifting and that it is evolving. And now that we have, you know, much better maintenance medication and that we have, you know, better chemotherapies, it's it's something that I wanted and needed to hear. Um, so I think that was really helpful is, is shifting from, you know, don't, you know, this is not a life sentence for you. This, it, we're going to try to fight this and this is how we're going to fight this. Absolutely. Um, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you is that, you know, certainly you, 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 you did your work and uh, you, you studied as to um, who was going to ultimately um, provide your care. You went to some major institutions, obviously. You went to Memorial uh, Sloan Kettering, MD Anderson, University of Miami. Um, there are patients who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and often they'll say, well, I don't want to travel to those big cities for their recommendations I know a local doctor and he seems like a nice person or she seems like a nice person. Um, what would you say to other patients diagnosed with ovarian cancer when considering where to go and the type of surgeon that they're going to see as well? That it makes a world of difference, that it's worth that flight. I, I don't care how far away you're coming from. Um, I did, you know, I also had a family at UCSF, so I did those those four centers. Um, and uh, wow, I mean, it's it's made a world of it makes a world of difference. If when you you know when it comes to this is so serious, why would you not? And I know there's some discomfort to to traveling, but on a relative basis, the potential of your outcome is just so altered in that direction and. You know, my mind, again, a numbers person is, you know, the local physician might see, you know, one case of ovarian cancer. A day. I mean, Dr. Ramirez is getting into his clinic. He's seen 12, 15 patients a day. So um, it, it's, you know, it's it's not by surprise. He does really well. He's had a lot of training. Um, so I think that's the difference. And I don't, you know, I, I'm going to travel to the guy that does the most cases in the world of this. And, and then that's world reference. And not only for you know, the current, you know, uh, treatment and initial treatment, but also if at any point in time it comes back and I need some more of trial or anything, I want to be at the cutting edge of technology. And that's where these centers are. And, you know, it was a tough choice between MD Anderson and Sloan, but, you know, MD Anderson, I think in the end, my affinity with Dr. Ramirez um, and I had, uh, my mom had been treated at Sloan, you know, it was, it was fine, nothing specific, but I thought, you know, 
even between Sloan and MD Anderson, there was, a, you know, a, a, for me, and then it's a personal choice for me, there was a world of difference. And I felt like I made the best choice available. And I, there's, if there's one thing, this whole thing I could look back on was how assertive my decision to get treated at Anderson was. Yeah, well, th th thank you for, for those compliments. And of course, obviously, uh, we have tremendous amount of respect as well for Sloan Kettering. And, and as you said, it's, it's unique uh, to the patient and, and how the patient feels uh, comfortable. And then I, I should also add that 12 to 15 patients that uh, just in the morning, I should say, my clinics, my <laughs> clinics are usually a lot busier than 12 to 15 patients. But uh, uh, yeah, thank you for, for doing that. And I think it's important, as you did, uh, to highlight to, to the patients that uh, they need to go where the best care will be. And it's been shown time and time again in the literature that uh, patients with gynecological cancers will do much better in very high volume centers. So that's uh, really very, very important. Um, having gone through this experience, uh, you know, certainly many patients might say, well, but what do I look for in the, in, in the doctor that I see? Um, what would you say are some of the qualities that you would describe, um, uh, and particularly as you saw in a number of physicians uh, in, in um, getting ultimately a treatment plan? Yeah, I think the first was what we were just speaking about as experience, right, which comes in the back of high volume, you know, doctors that have a lot of high volume, that have a lot of experience, I think give you uh, quite a lot of, of comfort and confidence. Um, and then the rest of it is not a mathematical equation, unfortunately, is part of it is affinity, is availability, is, um, you know, a part, well, an important part is I, I knew I was going to have a lot of questions. So, you know, if I emailed this doctor, am I going to get a response ever? Right. I know it's really mm -hmm. tough with the schedules and everything. So, I, I, you know, I, I took that in consideration, responsiveness of the doctor, you know, not the doctor that I will see once and then never speak to again. I wanted somebody that was actually going to follow me throughout my journey. Yeah. And, and, uh, the follow-up question is, uh, with regards to surveillance and obviously you're, you're going through surveillance, but also through, um, maintenance therapy as well. Um, how do you, how do you go about, um, obviously continuing on your routine, but as you said, there are moments when it is that week before your next scan, and then all of a sudden it all comes back to you. What would you recommend to those patients that are now going through surveillance and, and how, to, how to deal with that circumstance? Sure. So from a, a physical aspect, uh, I think, you know, the surveillance, I think, especially when you're getting on the medication, like there's a lot of adjustments, you know, I had platelets drops and it's part of, of knowing your body. This whole journey of fighting ovarian cancer, I think, teaches you a lot about learning your body and going through chemotherapy. And the same is true for, you know, you have to know when your body is just, you know, not feeling as great. And, you know, sometimes you might need that longer night of sleep. And, and, and I often do. I am very active, but often I you know, take time off to just rest and, and respect a little bit my body and, and, and feed it well. Um, and then, you know, that's the physical aspect of it is respect. If you're having a tired day, don't push it, you know, but if it's just, you know, there's a fine line between tired and being a bit lazy. So if it's being a bit lazy, get out there. But if you're actually physically tired or physically in pain, take that rest. So I think that's really important. And then the mental aspect of it, it's it's harder, you know, it's it's have to I think therapy works a lot and doing what you love works a lot and speaking to family friends works a lot. Um, it, but it, it's voicing your fears and saying, I don't have the disease right now or, you know, I'm in remission. Mm -hmm. um, it, the scan, you know, is it, coming up and, and, you know, until until the bad news comes, 
don't suffer mm-hmm. is, is kind of the new approach I'm taking to it is why anticipate any pain and suffering when it could just be all in your head. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I, I like that phrase. So until the bad news comes, don't suffer and, and move on and, and, and live your life. Um, I wanted to ask you the next question. Um, you know, certainly perhaps on, on the day of this uh, podcast, uh, there will be women who have been just told that day that they have a diagnosis of ovarian cancer, um, also young women uh, with this diagnosis. You know, and many times, you know, as you said, and you mentioned before, some of the patients, they focus on the why me, what did I do? I ate right and I, uh, you know, exercised. And, and you know, and some, some patients even come to us and tell us, what if I don't do anything? Um, what would you say to somebody um, who has just been diagnosed? Well, um, first, I would say I'm so sorry you're going through this. And it's a tough battle, but it's a beatable battle. And you... I think you owe it to yourself more than anybody to fight it, to give yourself a chance to live life, which I think is so great. Um, so I, I think that's part of the, the approach. You know, you need to now think about it. Think why life is so worth living for you. And I'm sure everybody could find whether if, if it's, you know, somebody, you know, you have a mother, a sibling you want to be there for, whether it's small moments you want to live I think that's you have to find the source for your reason to live. And there are. Everybody has them. We just sometimes, you know, they're hidden. But I, you know, I really access that. And um, I think that was part of the reason. And for the younger woman, you know, and, and this was really tough for me because I really wanted to have kids for a long time. So I think this was a little bit tougher. But, you know, I came to the conclusion there are many ways to be a mother. Um, there are different ways to be a mother. I, I'm an aunt now, recently twice aunt. Um, you know, my nephews, I am in a way, I'm, you know, yes, I'm an aunt, but I'm also, they're kind of my kids. They're kids around me that I have an influence in their future. Um, there are also, you know, I'm getting into teaching, which is something, you know, those are kind of my kids too. If you teach them <laughs> a little bit, you feel like that. So I think it's, you know, there are many ways you could adopt. I think it's something I'm considering in the future. I think, you know, there, there are many different ways you could fulfill that motherlyhood want to feel and i think it, it that was probably the hardest for me to get to but you can get there and i have yeah and you mentioned the source of support and, and i think it's it's important again to to highlight the amazing effort of everyone everyone around the patient and and of course obviously including the medical team but the patients obviously they go back home and and who's there and uh I think it's always incredibly important to say thank you to all of those individuals. And I was wondering, who's your main source of support or inspiration throughout this process, if you be willing to share that with us, or, or how has this person been impacting and important to you? Absolutely. So I talked Dr. Ramirez being one of my angels, and then I, I, you know, I've been very fortunate to have uh, many angels, but my, my guardian angel, I say, was uh, my sister, Carolina Benjamin. Um, she's a doctor. Um, she was there, you know, through all of it. The good, the bad, every single day, without a miss, asking how she can help, through all the chemotherapies, through all the, you know, checking in, even if I just sat in my room, you know, coming in, being like, is there anything I can do for you? She has traveled with me every time I've gone anywhere, We have this, this saying now where I say, you know, she says, where you go, I go. 
and she really has gone the the extra length and and I couldn't have done it without her she was she was my support she was my emotional support my physical support she was my my advocate um, in getting appointments done so I didn't have to worry about that and getting in touch with doctors so she you know luckily enough on top of that she had a layer of being a doctor but that wasn't even the most important part um, I think the most important part was she was there. She was she was my person. She was my guardian angel, and she really, you know, helped me through all of this. So you know, I want to say thank you to her. She's she's an amazing human being. Yes, and I can attest to that. She has always been there, yeah. um, amazing individual. Um, I want to be respectful of your time, um, and I uh, wanted to ask you one last question. Um, what message? Do you want to highlight to our audience, uh, not only physicians, but also particularly patients as your closing statement? Sure. So I think to physicians, it's, you know, the more you could get in the patient's skin, the more you could maybe put yourself in that patient's role and what they're going through. I think the better doctor you guys will be. You have all the technical training. I think some of that, what I call EQ, the emotional intelligence you know, sometimes it's, it's hard because you see this every day and it's something easier to lose track of. That's really the, you know, the big differentiating factor for, for patients, at least it was for me and I think for many patients. And for patients that, you know, are getting diagnosed, unfortunately, with with cancer and particularly ovarian cancer. And if you're young or old, it, it doesn't matter. It's going to be tough, but it's a winnable battle. And, and you should fight it because life life is really great. And we all, you know, I always I have the saying that, you know, I don't fear death for 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 you know the fear of actually dying, but I always fear death for losing the ability to live. And I want to live and I've continued to live. And that's what I recommend you do. Gabriela Benjamin, Gabby, amazing. Thank you so so much for your honesty, your transparency your enthusiasm, and, and obviously you are an inspiration to all of us. Uh, thank you for contributing this time, this segment. Um, we are all really looking forward to you doing really, really well, continuing to live life as, as to the fullest as you are now. So it is uh, an honor for me um, to share this with the audience of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Dr. Ramirez.